Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. <laughs> okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I confess, I am in a mood today. So this, we, we never know where that is going to go. All right, I, this is this is my, like, politically correct pinhead story of the day. All right, over the course of... Well, the next few weeks, a number of you are going to be starting a tradition that you have probably followed since you were small children. You are going to go out, and if you're into live trees, you are going to purchase a live tree at one of these lots. Or if you're into artificial trees, you are going to, you know, go into your basement. You're going to bring your artificial tree up, or you're going to go to a store and you're going to buy, you know, your your new your new tree, and you're going to put it in your family room, or you're going to put it in your living room, and you're going to pull out ornaments, and you're going to pull out lights, and you're going to start decorating this. And you know, at the end of the day, you know what you're going to have. You know what we all know that you are going to have in your family room or your living room or whatever. You're going to have a Christmas tree. Why? Because that's what it is. It's a Christmas tree. It's put up to celebrate Christmas. Now, I understand this is the holiday season, but real people don't put up holiday trees. You put up Christmas trees. All right. The city of Milwaukee, which has you know, never, never missed an opportunity to be politically correct whenever they could. The city of Milwaukee goes out and they cut down a big old evergreen and they put it up and they call it, yes, a Christmas tree. Why, grew? Because who's producing the show today and always? Because it's Christmas, right? That's what this is there for. All right. Well, there's one place where it is not a Christmas tree. Governor Tony Evers, he of the, well, the, the woke, the politically correct, etc., he, he's announced that, well, they are going to, um, you know, they're, they're going to be, you know, putting up the tree in the Capitol Rotunda, and this year's theme is going to be Celebrate Science, and he's asking school children to submit science-related ornaments for the tree, all of which, great, in a change from his predecessor, Governor Walker, who recognized what this was, which was a Christmas tree. Tony Evers, without explanation, now no longer calls the Christmas tree a Christmas tree. Instead, it is referred to as the holiday tree. So we're not calling the Christmas tree a Christmas tree anymore because presumably the new governor of the state of Wisconsin doesn't want to offend the Freedom From Religion Foundation who went absolutely, you know, apoplectic when the governor, Governor Walker, decided that we were going to call this what it is. Well, Tony Evers, not wanting to offend anybody, has now decided we are no longer going to call the Christmas tree a Christmas tree. We are going to call it, again, the holiday tree. <sighs> Heavy sigh. 
just you know it's it's like i mean who cares what you necessarily call it except for the fact that that's what it is it is a christmas tree put up at christmas time and the idea that you have these politicians like tony evers who are so afraid of being accused of being unwoke who are just so uncomfortable to address well well gosh you know maybe we need to recognize that that's what this is and heaven forbid that the freedom from religion foundation should be offended more on that in just a little bit we can't have a christmas tree anymore and but as i always say elections have consequences you know when the people of the state of Wisconsin, overwhelmingly dri- uh, driven by large voter turnout in Dane County, decided that, okay, uh, Tony Evers was going to replace Governor Walker. Well, okay, th- this is the type of stuff that you know that you're going to come to expect. We no longer have a Christmas tree. We have a holiday tree. And the Freedom From Religion Foundation is un- undoubtedly happy with that. Some of the rest of us, maybe not so much so. Okay, yesterday... There was, the governor had, and what was a political stunt, and and let's just be honest, it was a political stunt. He had called a special session of the legislature to talk about various gun-related issues. Now, you don't do this. You do not call a special session of the legislature unless you are confident that you have the votes that are there to pass particular pieces of legislation. Tony Evers knew what was going to happen. Matter of fact, you know, he didn't even send out the proposed legislation until the last minute. He knew the Republicans weren't going to consider it. But again, this was a political stunt. He thought he would gain political points. Maybe he did. Maybe he don't. I didn't. I, I don't know. I guess time will tell on that. But what happened was special session on guns is gaveled in and then it's gaveled out of session immediately. So it's just, again, it's an exercise in futility. I want to cut through the politics, though. And there is one aspect of, quote, unquote, gun control that I want to discuss today. And I understand in having this discussion, some of you aren't going to agree with me. Now, look, I I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe in the right to carry firearms, etc. At the same time, I do think we have to be open to the idea of, especially in today's day and age, reasonable requirements to assure that guns aren't getting into the wrong hands, which brings me to the subject of universal background checks. And again, at the risk of antagonizing some people, I have to tell you, the more and more I think about this, the more and more I think we need to do something like this on either the federal level and or the state level. Now, let's kind of back into this topic. Generally speaking, what's under the law now, federally licensed firearms dealers, pawn shops, gun stores, retailers like Walmart are required by law to run a background check before they sell a firearm to somebody. So if you go into a gun store, you've got to do this. Most times, this involves calling a number. It's the FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check System. Um, some states have their own system, etc. But but typically, you know, it's a phone call, and you have an answer as to whether or not somebody's eligible to buy a gun in a matter of minutes. Someone who is not a federally licensed gun dealer can sell a gun without running a background check on the buyers. 
Such purchases can happen at gun shows, they can happen at flea markets, or they can be arranged through an online ad on, on like websites that are out there. Currently, if a gun is sold across state lines or within state lines to an out-state resident, the gun must be first transferred to a licensed dealer who has to run a background check. But in general, um, before you do that, you have to prove knowledge. What a universal background check law would do is it would essentially say for almost all sales of firearms, unless you're talking about transfers in the family, you know, you, you've got the gun and you want to give it to your son or daughter or whatever. But if you're talking about sales, it would require essentially individual sellers to run that background check as well. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I raise this issue seriously. If I want to buy a firearm and I go to a gun dealer, that gun dealer has got to run a background check on me, all right? Why should I be able to avoid that requirement, having my background check run, simply because I choose to buy a firearm over the Internet? And that's, you know, that again, that that's, that, that's what this is. So I can buy a gun from somebody over the Internet, and there's not a background check, but if I go to Walmart or I go to a regular gun store, they run a background check. I, I don't understand how that makes sense. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And I understand that some people who oppose the, the idea of the background checks do it because they are afraid the next step is going to be some national gun registry or something like that. Well, I, to that, I would say, why don't we take this one step at a time? But if you're going to buy a gun through a gun dealer or at Walmart and you have to go through this step, why should you be able to avoid it by making a purchase off of the Internet? We discuss 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Okay, here's a text to get us started. Jeff, 90% of the murders are caused with unregistered handguns by people who possess guns illegally. No background check will fix this. How about life in prison without parole if you commit murder with an unregistered weapon? Okay, first of all, let me stop. I, I, I don't know that 90% figure sounds high, but it doesn't matter. I'm not arguing, and I wouldn't argue, that, gee, if you go to universal background checks, that that's going to eliminate murders or eliminate all the gun crime. It, it clearly won't. But at the same time, again, I go back to the basic thought of, you know, why not? And, and again, there's all these studies out there are out there, and, and some suggest that there would be an impact on on gun crime. Some say it's inconclusive, but I guess I, again, I come back to the notion of of why not? If, if you have to, if you buy a gun from a gun dealer and the gun dealer has to run the background check on you, why should you be able to buy something through an advertisement on the on the internet? And and that and you be of you don't not have to then have a have a background check written. Let's start with uh, Rob in Brilliant. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I just want to comment in regards to Internet sales on firearms. Um, you know, I can understand what you say. You know, there's there's a lot of potential out there. Um, I happen to be a, a firearms enthusiast, and I'm a hunter, and I do collect uh, certain types of firearms. And 
from my experience, um, finding certain guns, you know, is the only real source is online. But when I do transactions online through certain websites like Gun Broker or Guns America, they have specific rules and guidelines right. where, you know, you deal with federal firearms license holders and the guns actually, um, I feel more comfortable using these websites because if I happen to sell an investment-grade firearm to somebody, I know that it's going to go to a dealer and get transferred to them through that background process. To me, from my experience, the biggest loophole there would be the gun shows, or if you put an ad in the local paper, somebody can come to your front door mm-hmm. and you can sell them that gun. Um, and, you know, I'm a gun enthusiast, but I also am for those background checks because it also protects me as a seller. Yeah. When I sell a firearm, that it's going to be transferred properly and I'm not going to be, you know, um, contacted in the future by something that, you know, for right. a crime that happened with a firearm. Right, which is the last thing, you know, you as legitimate seller want. You don't have want to have the FBI or the local police or somebody knocking on your door six months later saying, hey, you know, that gun you sold was just used in the murder of a police officer in St. Louis. Um, you know, who who did you sell it to? You're right, is a responsible sale? You don't want you don't want that to happen, right? You you want to know. Exactly. Now, thanks for calling. And see, and I guess that's the thing. Nowadays, it's a phone call. I mean, we're, we're not, it's a phone call in not all cases, but in most cases, you know, they can tell you within five minutes whether or not, you know, this is going to be some sort of legitimate sale. And, and I guess I just, I, I come down to this whole idea of, we, we, I think we need to be reasonable. Remember after the shootings in Las Vegas, we were there was all this conversation about the, these bump stocks and you should be allowed to buy them. And, and my point then was, we regulate the sales of machine guns. You, you As a general rule, you can't buy a machine gun unless you get special permits and, and go through this special sort of thing. Well, if that's the law, why should you be able to buy something that for 50 bucks takes a gun that you could otherwise legally purchase and turn it into a machine gun. To me, it was one of these sort of common sense things. And I guess universal background checks are are another one of those common sense things. Will it stop all gun crime? Of course not. I don't argue that it will. But I mean, seriously, if you got to if you go to a licensed gun dealer and they've got to run a background check on you, why should you be able to avoid that by going to a, a gun show? Or why should you be able to avoid that by going through the Internet? Some Internet salespeople, sale firms do, you know, require it to be transferred to a licensed gun dealer. Others don't. Let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Mark. What do you think? You know, you are absolutely right because it is common sense to have a background check done regardless of the venue of the purchase. If you're a felon, you could still purchase a firearm from a private third party as it stands right now and not go through a background check. Or you could go to a gun show and get a firearm without a background check. It makes sense to do it. Uh, the only reason we don't have this already in place is because, as we said, they gaveled in and gaveled out to refuse to even discuss it. And, and that does a disservice to everybody in the state, because even if you don't agree with it, even if the end result is we don't put any legislation in place, we could at least discuss it. And I think that those legislators that refuse to even discuss it, uh, they don't deserve to have those jobs if they can't even do their job of talking about it. Not saying that they have to pass it, but they can't even t- talk about it or discuss it. That's absolutely shameful.
Yeah, well, I, I guess, well, and, and again, th- there's all sorts of nuances to this, and you know, people are, are making good points. They're texting me and they're saying, okay, well, there's a question of, you know, what is a transfer and, and things like that, and and there's different approaches to universal background checks. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not the guy arguing that if you want to get give a gun to your son or something, that you should necessarily have to go through that type of thing. But but it seems to me that this is in general a reasonable thing to to consider, and I think. Most people in Wisconsin and most people in this country are, are probably there, and unfortunately, some of the politicians aren't. You know, I I'm probably one of your most liberal callers, but I'm also a very very strong supporter of the Second Amendment, and I don't think that that should be infringed upon. But it's not infringing upon your right to own a firearm by also considering other people's rights to not, you know, get shot at in a public place because you're mentally unstable. Or you're, you're a felon, wanna... yeah. No, thanks exactly. for the call. I'm sorry, I want to kind of sneak in one more call. Jim in West Bend. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. I, I recently purchased a handgun at a, uh, at a gun show in West Bend. Uh, this was probably a year ago. And they did run a back, background check on me. Like you said, they, they called some number and I got approved or whatever. It just took a minute or two. But was, what was disturbing about it was, when I left the gun show, there was five or six guys kind of hanging around outside, and immediately they started asking me if that was, if my gun was for sale, if they, you know, <laughs> I was eligible. And so there's all sorts of loopholes and things that are going on here. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I think they should just do some type of a, a national. Yeah, something across the board to make the rules uniform. And I got to tell you, Jim, I really don't think that that's going to, in any material way, interfere with with Second Amendment rights. Nobody's talking about taking guns away from people. We're trying to at least put in reasonable procedures which would make it more difficult for people who we all agree shouldn't have guns, felons, um, you you know, mentally ill people. Uh, It would make it maybe just a little bit harder for them to get it. Will, Will it stop them all? Of course not. But to me, it's just a minor inconvenience with a capital M when I say minor. Yeah, it took it took less than two minutes for them to say yes, you're you're okay. Um, but I, I'd like to know how do these people, you know, because I uh, I agree with some of the things people have said about, you know, the inner city is just full of illegal guns. I mean, where are these things coming from? I mean, how, how are they getting this? Stuff? Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, that that's a. I mean, uh, there's a lot of unregistered firearms. There's a lot of stolen guns. There's a lot of straw purchases uh, of guns. You know, we're, we're swimming with firearms in this country. There's, there's no question about it. Most of those firearms are in the hands of lawful users, and it's not a problem. But, but unfortunately, bad guys get the guns as well. In, in any event, I just I want to at least have this conversation, and, and I think. Regardless of whether we agree or not with the the special session being gaveled shut, I, I do think both Republicans and Democrats need to start coming together to think, all right, are there things that we can do that aren't going to materially interfere with the Second Amendment, but at the same time will provide – I don't know, some reasonable controls that might make it just a tad more difficult for people who shouldn't have guns to to get guns. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I just it, I I found this movie clip. You know the the, the big. The, the big current thing is that the phrase, OK, boomer, which is the way Gen Xers and millennials have of telling baby boomers, oh, oh just, you know, just just shut up. 
You know, shut up, old man. Shut up, old woman. So that's the phrase. It's, it's okay, boomer, you know, to which the response is, well, I tell you, when you move out of your parents' basement, and then you can talk. But in any event, on Twitter, there's, there's a classic movie clip that I think is, is the perfect response if somebody were to say to you, okay, boomer. And it's a clip from the movie Fried Green Tomatoes involving Kathy Bates. You might remember it. She's the character she plays. She's like she's in a parking lot of a of a grocery store or something or a department store, and she's been circling around looking for a space. And what happens is finally she finds this guy who's who's pulling out, and he waves, and he pulls out, and then she's getting ready to pull in, and these two young women in a VW come in the driving the wrong way down the line, swing around, and take the spot. And then the lady, Kathy Bates, goes, hey, I I was waiting for that spot. And they go, they yell, well, you know, we're younger and faster, old lady, or something like that. And what she does next is kind of the classic response to the phrase, okay, boomer. And I've got that clip up there if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620. A number of people were asking, I told the story yesterday, yesterday we were... um, we, my, my wife is helping her sister and brother-in-law, I guess this is my sister-in-law and brother-in-law move, and we, we had just, we had filled her car full of books. They're moving books and they were going to take them out to a storage center somewhere, at which point I notice, boy, the, and of course this is stupid me, I, I don't notice until after we put hundreds and hundreds of pounds of books in the car, I notice, boy, her car is really, it looks low. And then I look at it and said, oh, the reason it's low is because the back passenger side tire is completely and totally flat, which then starts the, I had to go to work, but it starts the circus of calling AAA and getting somebody out there. Ultimately, long story short, was you know, somebody came out, changed the tire, put on the flat, and put on the, the spare tire, and she went over to um, actually David Honda, one of the, the sponsors. And I was just convinced that we had to buy a new tire, but apparently it was just she had she had apparently hit this really long, thin nail that had punctured the tire, not in the sidewall, but just in, in the tread. And they were able to just plug the hole. They said, no, you don't, you do not need a new tire. They were able to plug the hole, I guess, and send her on her way. And looks like we've solved it. And they didn't charge us anything for it. Now that's, that's service. So all's well that ends well. Okay. Speaking of driving, I want to read you the entirety of this story. It's a brief one that appears in today's Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Now keep in mind, was it yesterday or two days ago? We discussed this municipal judge. Derek Mosley from Milwaukee County, he, when when trying to explain why we had so many reckless driving situations, he said, well, you know, I I think part of the problem is that um, there was a period of time where MPS stopped doing driver's ed, (laughs) which I'm like, really? I mean, so that's why people are blowing through red lights at 80 miles an hour. And my suggestion was maybe some of the municipal court judges need to look internally and maybe start taking some responsibility for the fact that we've we've just allowed people to get away with driving recklessly with little or no consequences. But of course, you know, the judges don't want to accept any sort of responsibility. People charged with enforcing the law don't want to accept any responsibility. All right. So this brings me to the story. This is the guy who hit the two children, four and six. But this this isn't the one where they ended up dying. This is the other one where they were just injured. Let me read you the story in its entirety. 
Prosecutors on Thursday charged a West Dallas man who they say fled after he hit and injured two young children while driving fast on the north side. Cameron Xavier Collins, 25, was charged with two counts of hit and run and two counts of driving while, okay, driving while suspended, all causing great bodily harm after two boys ages four and six were injured Monday in a crash near Tetonia and Florist. Collins turned himself into police after they put out a call to search for the Red Honda Accord involved in the crash. According to the complaint, an 11-year-old girl told police that she took her brothers and cousins to a sitco on Tetonia to buy snacks. As they left, they walked along West Florist Avenue on the north sidewalk. They planned to cross the street, but a school bus parked along the street obscured their view of oncoming cars. The girl heard the sound of a westbound car approaching quickly, and she told the children to wait before crossing, but the six-year-old boy ran into street, the street, and the four-year-old followed. So the kids darted out from behind a school bus. This ended up what happened. The red car hit them both. The six-year-old was knocked unconscious. He suffered a serious head injury. Four-year-old suffered a broken nose. In interviews with police, Collins, that's the guy driving the car, said as he drove past the bus, two children ran into the street. He said he hit the children. There was nothing he could do. He fled because he says that he was scared. He also said he left the car in the alley, took the license plate off. Police found the car with front-end damage Tuesday morning. He turned himself into police Tuesday afternoon. Okay, so you, you get the idea of what happened. I don't know if he was speeding or not, but the kids run out into traffic, and the, the problem isn't necessarily that he, he hit the kids. That's a problem, again, with the injuries. But with the law, it's that he took off. It's, it's that he fled um, because sometimes, you know, kids do run out into traffic. All right, but here's the dazzling detail of the story that is the launching point for the conversation I want to have. Collins has never been issued a valid driver's license. He's never had a driver's license. Online state and municipal court records indicate, did I mention he's never had a driver's license? Online state and municipal court records indicate he has received at least six traffic tickets for his lack of a license since 2014. He also has at least five citations for other traffic violations. So here you have a guy who is involved in a hit and run. Now, the hit part might not have been his fault, for all we know, but he he took off, and that's the problem. But he doesn't have a driver's license. Moreover, he's gotten, before this, he's gotten six tickets for driving without a license and has at least, and there might be more, but the, the paper says six at least, and he has at least five other traffic citations. And he's still back on the road driving without a driver's license. Well, first of all, note to the municipal court judges, it's, it, it, trust me, it's not because the guy didn't take driver's ed that he's back out on the street driving recklessly. It's because when he got caught over and over and over again for driving without ever having a license, nobody did anything to him. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is, at least in my opinion, it's way past time to say enough is enough. And, and maybe as a starting point, there's all sorts of things that I would do, including you know putting people that do this on a repeat basis in, in jail for at least a period of time. But you know, a good starting point is 
after about the second or third time you get caught driving without a license, we should take the cars. We should just take the cars and not give them back. And if the car happens to be registered to somebody else, that person then has the burden of proving, coming in and proving that they are an innocent owner, that they didn't know the person without the driver's license was driving the car. But isn't it more than – at least seize the cars. Just like we were talking about before with the gun stuff, does that completely solve the problem? No, but maybe it makes it more difficult for these people who don't give a rat's rump about the rules and driving with a license and driving safely and responsibly. Maybe it makes it just a little more difficult for them to keep getting back behind the wheel of a car. Take the vehicles. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so again, the, the guy who hit the six and four-year-olds in the, the second hit and run that, that we had, this isn't the Democrat activist who hit and killed the six, four and six-year-olds. This is the other guy, never had a driver's license. 25 years old, has never had a driver's license, but more, perhaps more shockingly, or maybe not, Never had a driver's license, but at least six other times apparently has been stopped and cited for driving without a license. And on top of that, like at least another five plus times of other traffic violations. But but he just doesn't care, doesn't care out there driving. And I, I got to say, like I say, enough is enough. And I'm all in favor of after the second or third time, maybe you impose some jail sentences and things like that. But bigger point is let's start taking the cars. Because maybe that would make it more difficult for people to get behind the wheel of vehicles and continue doing this. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, seriously, how long are we going to, you know, tolerate this? And I, I do tie it back to the municipal judge earlier this week who said, well, I think a lot of the problems is because MPS stopped giving drivers ed. Huh? Oh, come on. Let's start with Teresa in Menominee Falls. Teresa, you're first. Good afternoon. Teresa? Yes. Oh, I'm still here. Hi, Teresa. Yes. Um, I agree and disagree with your comment of taking away cars because a situa- similar situation happened to me in June of 2012. Um, my sister was killed by a person that did not have a driver's license. Mm. And he obtained a vehicle from his girlfriend at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, as early as September of 2011, he was pulled over for probably his third or fourth time. We're not having a driver's license, yep. uh, which he had lost because of his third um, drunk driving while intoxicated. Yep. Driving while intoxicated. Yep. Um, we went to court. He got nine months, and the only reason he got nine months for killing my sister was because he could have had a license if he would have paid his fine. It wasn't that it was taken away from him. It was because he didn't pay his fine. So he got nine months. He had to keep his nose clean for two years. And if he kept his nose for two years, then he was off of probation. As mm-hmm. Last year, late, uh, actually it was early this year, he got pulled over for his fourth drunken driving ticket. Yep. Fortunately, he did not kill anybody this time. So it doesn't matter. These guys are idiots. <laughs> well, it is. But so I get, that's why, uh, that's why I, I say we, in, unless we're just going to 
let ourselves be be open to be victims. And by the way, I, I I'm I'm sorry for your loss. Stories like that just go go through me. And and but you know the, the truth is with so many of these people out there that this what happened to your sister could happen to just about anybody. And I guess I just right. think we've got to try to do things that stop these people from getting behind the wheel of a car. And and, and that that's why maybe it sees the cars. Just take the cars away because and. and you know, yes, and it doesn't stop people from borrowing the girlfriend's car. But then, when you catch them, then you take the girlfriend's car away, unless she can right. prove she didn't know. I just we got to do something more than we're doing. Right, and, and the problem is, is this was in Madison, yeah. um, in Sun Prairie, Dane County. It, you yeah. know, that it was just terrible how the judge um, gave him his sentence, nine months, killed right. somebody. He's wrecked multiple people in her family's lives. Oh yeah including her boyfriend that has been uh, physically injured because of this. It was a motorcycle accident. So yeah. oh, he's no. been physically injured. I mean, it, it makes me sick it, every it, time I hear this it, on the radio. It, it does. No, no, thanks for the call, and thanks thanks for sharing, Therese. And again, I'm, I'm sorry for your, your loss, but that's, you know, why... Why do we have to wait? I mean, you, you look at a story like this. Okay, so now the fact that the guy who's driving, you know, for the set, caught for the, at least the seventh time driving without a license, now that he's he's hit these two kids, thankfully they're going to survive, and he's fled. Now he's going to be going to prison for a long time. But but why why did we wait so long? I mean, why do we keep giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity? And I do think you need to shine a light on the judicial system. You need to shine a light on the laws. You need to shine a light on like these municipal judges who aren't aren't willing to, you know, take the steps that you need to take to get these people off the streets, but maybe a, a bigger change in the laws. And, and like I say, I, I don't say this lightly, but take the cars. Just take the damn cars. And, and if it's not registered to you, okay, if, if it belongs to the, there's a huge loan and it belongs to the bank, all right, fine, you just give it back. You know, if it belongs to somebody else, well, then you make them come in and prove that they're an innocent owner, prove that they didn't know that the person they were lending the car to wasn't legally allowed to drive michael on the north side hi michael you're on wtmj how are you doing today i am well thank you although these are frustrating stories they just are it is but listen i went in in front of judge mosley but here's the here's the loophole that needs to be closed and you are an attorney if you drive without a license it's one thing if i have a driver's license and i don't pay my ticket I get revocated. Mm-hmm. Driving after revocation, they take you to jail mm-hmm. after the second time automatically. Michael, the you congregation says amen. <laughs> the congregation like, says amen. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I talk, you know, because I get cited, you know, right. excited. But what I'm saying is let's close the loophole mm-hmm. when you're not driving, you know what I mean, with no mm-hmm. license because mm-hmm. you don't have license. It needs to be some type of penalty. Right. And on the other hand, you know, these municipal judges, they run for offices, too. Yep. Yeah, no, so they, they no. can be They can be checked, too, by somebody that's campaigning to say, this is what I'm going to do to change it. Well, exactly. No, I'm Michael, thanks for calling. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm with you. Now, I, I, in the, the case of this guy, 
that's been charged, he's never had a drive. He didn't even bother to get a driver's license. So I'm not cutting him any slack either. I, I mean, I agree. People who are driving after they've been revoked, that's one category. People who don't even bother to get the driver's license and then continue to drive. They, they make fools of all the rest of us. We're all chumps. My, my, my granddaughter, she's you know, just got her learner's permits and stuff, and she's studying and she's taking the driver's ed courses. Is she she maybe, you know, is she a chump because she's playing by the rules to, to get this? You know, why not just do what this other character has been doing apparently his entire life? He's 25 years old. He's never had a driver's license and stop time after time after time for driving without a license. And with all due respect to my friends in law enforcement, we, we know that as good as they are, we, we know that the, the five or six or now seven times that this guy's been stopped and caught driving without a license, we know in all likelihood that that is just a fraction of the times that he's actually been driving without the license. I mean, it's just that's just kind of the reality that that's out there. Matt in Heartland. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call, Hi, Jeff. I, and thanks for bringing this up. I live out in Heartland, but I'm in the city of Milwaukee you know, virtually every day. And I love the city of Milwaukee. But it is ridiculously dangerous to drive, especially when you're on 27th and Capitol, you know, around maybe Green Bay and Hampton, because there's simply no respect for the law. None. Zero. And the reason there's no respect for the law, because there's no consequences if you break it. I can count more license plates on cars than cars that do not even have license yep. plates. So yeah. they don't even care. So, so what? What does? What difference does it make? It, it makes none. So until somebody decides we're going to crack down and there's going to be a consequence, nothing is going to change. I, I don't think, Matt. I, I do not disagree. Which is why I, I I will repeat for the third time in the last week this dazzling statistic that is out there, and I credit the website Urban Milwaukee. I don't agree with a lot of stuff they put on there, but they, they had the story. The number of, of tickets, traffic tickets that turned into municipal court cases written in the first nine months of 2019 versus the number that were written in the first nine months of 2018 is down 46 percent. It's down 46 percent. Now, you will never convince me that that means that traffic, there's 46% fewer violations. It tells me that this is being de-emphasized, that the the driving without a license, the driving without license plates, all that sort of stuff. These are, I think, fair questions to ask the the mayor and the police chief, and I'm a fan of the police chief, not as much of the mayor. Um, But, but, I mean, is this, because keep in mind, the mayor's talking about getting rid of 60 cops. All right, we've, we've already, is there now a conscious effort away from aggressive traffic enforcement. I think that's the only way that you can explain this drop. And as long as that's happening, now maybe the police are just deciding, hey, we pull people over for driving without a license and not a damn thing happens to them, so you know, why bother you know, using the resources? That's an argument you might be able to make. But how can you have written you know, almost half as many tickets for the first nine months of this year as last year? And, and we wonder why there is carnage out there on the roadways. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eric Bilstadt, you don't have a pet currently, do you? No, we do. Oh, you do? Yep, okay. We have a puppy. We just got him four or five weeks ago. Oh, okay. Um, I just, I, I was thinking about that because um, and this, is, this is the point in the program where if my wife happens to be listening, honey, turn off the dot, turn off the radio, because <laughs> c- come back Uh-oh. in you know, a few minutes later. I, 
Okay, so I you know I my I have a Pomeranian and she's mm-hmm. like five and a half pounds and, and this this weather is tough on her because you know when you got the snow cover and sure. stuff yeah. you know you, you go out and it's just it just it's just hard because you got to do your business and stuff and she'll look at me and say Dad I don't see you peeing outside right. here you know <laughs> and so I mean I kind of I kind of feel bad so th- this morning. I I went to the pet store because I needed to get some. We were running low on dog food and stuff. Okay, and of sure. course, my, my dog doesn't just eat one type of dog food. We have like three different types of dog food, and we kind of mix them or vary them, you know. Wow, because right. well, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to eat the same thing twice a day every day. Okay. So we we change kind it up of, for her. We right. kind of do that, and and then. She likes these like chew toys, these like bully rings and stuff. And and you know, I had one or two left, but I thought, okay, well, if you buy four, you get a discount. So I'm buying. Next thing I know, all in, all done between the the treats and the dog food and the bully rings, I dropped a hundred and five dollars this morning. And that, so Fran, if yep. you're listening, just a hundred and five, and that was with like a ten percent. That was like with ten dollars off or something like that. I spent a hundred and five dollars on this stuff. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. It's so you well. Could probably go back and get some more stuff. Too. Well, right, and that was I really didn't. I mean, I didn't buy toys or anything. I just bought you know stuff that yes, she's going to consume and all. Yeah. So there you go. So okay, so you got a puppy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, almost five months old. He's a labradoodle. He's already thirty-five pounds. He'll probably get to about sixty, maybe by Trained? the time. Uh, he's training? currently being trained. Okay, he's doing good. It, it, right. It's you know, it's there's ebbs and flows, but it, he is doing very well. It, it's funny, training. my my dog just caught on right away, and I don't. Yeah. I we we got her from a breeder at like six weeks, and I maybe it was just because I I don't know, but she caught on right away, yeah. which is to the point. Yeah, I didn't know. It's great. Like last night at ten o'clock, there, there's just certain barks. It bark. That, that means okay, gotta go, Dad. You know, let's <laughs> stop. Don't don't watch the end of the show, Dad. That bark <laughs> is like I'm ready to go now, pal. So you get to know all that stuff. Hundred and five dollars this morning. Hundred and five bucks. <sighs> go figure. She's worth it. She no, there's no question that there's no question she's worth it. I wouldn't spend hundred five bucks on myself, but spend it on the dog. All right, Veterans Day. I, I want to do. I want to spend the next segment or two. On kind of a, a different maybe approach to to Veterans Day. Now, now hear me out. Veterans Day is of course Monday. Last weekend, last Saturday, I was the MC at an event that the City of Waukesha did called Operation Honor, and uh, it, it this it was kind of a wonderful thing. And I, as the MC, made some initial remarks, and I, I, I really, it had me thinking about some of the, the people who I know or have known in my life who you know served in the military. I, I was. Dear friend of mine, former law professor, dear friend of mine who was a golf buddy for decades, passed away a couple years ago, my friend Jim, he was a medic. He was D-Day plus three. D-Day plus three. Um, And his friend, who became my friend as well, uh, John, was D-Day plus five. I mean, they were medics in World War II. So I was was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about, you know, more recently, in a more contemporary fashion, all the the people I know who who served in the Vietnam War. Um, uh, one, one of my friends who his assignment was he worked with like the the Mungs and, and he was like in the in the uh, hills like you know organizing resistance and things like that. And he would go for like a month at a time without seeing anybody you know any other Americans other than the people in his unit. And and a, another dear friend of mine who did two tours of duty in Vietnam and his job. He was one of the guys that went into the tunnels. That you know, when when they would find these tunnels, he was one of the guys that went in looking for you know enemy soldiers or bombs or or whatever. Went into the tunnels. I have another very very close friend who graduated from a very very prestigious university, 
and you know had all sorts of offers to go to law school and stuff could have gotten more deferments um, and decided you know he wanted to enlist um, and, and so he he ended up enlisting and he could have gone to like officers candidate school and all those sort of stuff didn't want that went in and you know w- was an artillery guy I mean he's one of these guys walking through the jungle you know carrying the machine guns and, and stuff and I, I whenever we go out from time to time these are experiences that they that my, my friends don't Will they talk about them if I ask them questions about this? Yes. Is it something they necessarily volunteer? No. But I'm fascinated uh, about this time. And, and like I say, I I was I was not born during World War II, not born during the Korean War. I was too young for the Vietnam War. But I'm fascinated by the, these stories, and particularly again because it's perhaps more contemporary for me that the whole Vietnam experience and, and what I what I want to do for a segment or two is I, around Veterans Day I, I want to I would like to talk to some of you who were Vietnam era veterans or or family members of Vietnam era veterans maybe it was your husband that was overseas maybe it was your wife that was overseas as a nurse you know maybe it was your your dad or your uncle or your brother or something like that cuz now we we have a, a bit of hindsight you know it's been you know for for some people it's been it means been more than 50 years you know since our in, active involvement in, in Vietnam and I, I always find it fascinating to talk to people who were veterans to try to gain their experience and their impressions and their thoughts of the experience looking back with the the benefit of time our number 414-799-1620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line in, in recognition of, of Veterans Day, instead of just sort of taking like, like general phone calls, and sometimes we do this about people you want to remember, I, I'd, I'd like to be specific in this case. And I, I'd, I'd like to talk to people who served as Vietnam-era veterans or had family members who served. And I guess my question is, what was it like? And looking back on that experience, what was it like? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That was that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Grew is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a minute. This is kind of a special segment in recognition of Veterans Day on Monday. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Veterans Day is Monday. Um, we're, we're devoting a segment to this program, and I'm really focusing right now on on Vietnam era veterans whether you served in country or not i'm kind of curious about your experiences whatever insight you might have gained you know looking back with the hindsight of 50 years or you know if you had a family member that served if you had a spouse that served um you know the the reaction um and i think i think it's important for us to remember the the people who've i mean done so much and today we're focusing on vietnam tim in waukesha tim you're first good afternoon Hi, Jeff. Um, this is just in regards uh, to my brother. Um, he served from 69 to 71, and he was in uh, Da Nang, Song Bay. He was on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. He was in the 1st Cavalry. And I can remember getting reel-to-reel tapes. I was eight. Uh, we'd get reel-to-reel tapes sent home, and you'd hear the firing in the background, and all of a sudden he'd be like, well, I have to go. <laughs> and then the, the tape would shut off, and then he would come back later. And I'll never forget when we brought him to Mitchell Airport, he had his duffel bag all packed, and he forgot the key. 
because it was locked. And we had to drive back to the house in the falls, get the key. I can remember him throwing the bag over the fence, climbing the fence, running on the tarmac, and getting onto the plane. Wow. And the thing was, you know, he never, you know, did he have a choice not to go? That was never a, never a choice of his. He always told me, he's like, I could never let my parents down. I did never want right. them to think that I was, uh, you know, not right. going to do something for the country. But it's just amazing, all the things that he, the stories, he doesn't talk about it, right. but the stories that he has and the things that he brought back, the, the mementos. He worked with the Mountain Yard people, right. and, um, you know, they were allies of ours. And he brought back, like, wooden crossbows that had a bind on them. And I remember taking those crossbows in the basement, and we we shoot those arrows into, uh, you know, into boxes. And he's like, oh, you know, those are things that were used over there. And I'm like 10. It was just amazing, the, the things that he did and the stories that he has. Yeah, right. Great, man. No, th- thanks for going. And that, that's how, you know, that's how, I've in, that's how I view a number of my, my friends who, you know, did this. Again, a little bit older than me and including, you know, a couple of people I know who did multiple tours over there because they, they felt it was the right thing to do. And it didn't matter that uh, the war was unpopular here in the United States. You know, they believed that they were, were serving their country. <clears throat> and, and and they did that. Here's a text, Jeff. My dad passed away from Agent Orange associated illnesses in 2015. And my family and I were very appreciative of the military honors and the support we received from the Patriot Guard riders. One gentleman even drove a military jeep replicated from one that my dad drove um, for the funeral procession. Yeah, you you get you get that the the people who you know just just serve and and cared so desperately, and the, the experiences I, I think affect you for your entire life. Like I say, when we sit down with when I sit down with some of my friends and I I ask them to describe their experiences, you can tell. They're willing to share. On the same time, though, it's it's like they're they're bringing back you're bringing back memories that maybe that they hadn't thought of for years and years, or it's just kind of I don't want to say repressed because that makes that's probably not necessarily true. But this whole idea of well, you know, we're really young and we were in these situations. You know, I was thinking about when Tim called the, the whole idea of like the reel to reel tape recordings. I mean, see nowadays when people serve overseas, and I am no way in any shape, you know, saying oh it's it's not an ordeal to be away from your family. Of course it is. But you know, in, in World War Two, for example, my friend, you know, Jim, when when he's over there, you you, you know, you go months without you know mail call and stuff and, and there's not the internet and you can't skype and you can't make phone calls back and forth you're just writing letters you know vietnam well okay again there wasn't the emails or things like that you would write the letters occasionally you know there would be the phone calls that you could make but but you were essentially alone now you know you, you do have the access you know with the computers and the internets i mean it's still a huge sacrifice but i think back on world war ii and, and can you imagine i mean there were people who, you know, enlisted in the military, say in like 1942 or something like that. And then they're, they're ultimately, when they end up getting sent overseas, they, they go for six months or a year or a year and a half or two years, and they really don't have much, if any, contact other than letters that they write with their family. It, it's just, it is incredible, the sacrifices that veterans end up making so the rest of us can enjoy our freedoms. And that's something I think we, we all need to remember, you know, as we approach this weekend and you see the specials on TV or the radio and the radio about about Veterans Day. It's it's worth taking a couple minutes over the course of the next couple of days and just 
thinking like I did about some of the people. If you served in the military, well, you 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 know you you understand this directly. But if you didn't, thinking about you know the people you know who did serve in the military and thinking about what the experience must have been like for them, and then thanking them for their service. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The critics are raising hell. One sheriff says he does not care. For our next story, I take you to Brevard County, Florida. Brevard County, Florida is, it's on the East Coast. It's, it's, it's east of Orlando. If you kind of go to Orlando and then go to the Atlantic Ocean, that's Brevard County. It's about a half a million people. It's the 10th most populated county in Florida. All right? So the sheriff is a guy named Wayne Ivey. He's the sheriff at Brevard County. So here's the deal. The sheriff's office has apparently ordered a number of new patrol cars. They're going to be, over the course of the next year or two, they're going to be replacing their their fleet of, of squad cars and patrol cars. They're getting new ones. So what he did is he went out and he found a donor. And the donor has agreed to underwrite the cost on the new patrol cars in addition to saying Brevard County Sheriff and, like, Sheriff and all. They're also – now, those are, like, those are decals that they, they put on, on the vehicles. The donor is also going to pay for a couple other things. First, they're going to have an American flag on – as decals. So like on the door where it says Brevard County Sheriff, next to that it's going to have an American flag with a with a star on it, like the law enforcement star. And okay, now I hope you're sitting down for this. On on the back, on the like the hatch if if they're vans and stuff, there's going to be a decal. And the decal is going to say in God we trust. Yes, it's going to say in God we trust. Well, the Freedom From Religion Foundation has gotten upset with that. This is the Madison-based Freedom From Religion Foundation, and they have sent a lengthy letter. Matter of fact, I I have that in, in my hand, demanding that the Brevard County Sheriff's Office remove, or in this case not install, in God We Trust vehicles, these decals on the, the vehicles. Um, what they say is that it is inappropriate and exclusionary for official county vehicles to be adorned with a religious endorsement. Spending taxpayer time placing religious messages on patrol cars is beyond the scope of secular government, according to Annie Laurie Gaylor. Further, in a time when citizens nationwide are increasingly distrustful of law enforcement officers' actions, it is frightening and politically dubious for local police departments to announce to citizens that officers rely on the judgment of a deity rather than on the judgment of the law. Law enforcement officers take an oath to protect and serve all citizens, displaying a preference for religion so clearly right on county property is a betrayal of that oath. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. Further, this is what they argue. In a time when citizens nationwide are distrustful of law enforcement, it is frightening 
and politically dubious for a local police department to announce to citizens that officers rely on the judgment of a deity, in God we trust, rather than on the judgment of the law. Law enforcement officers take an oath to protect and serve all citizens. Displaying a preference for religion so clearly right on county property is a betrayal of that oath. Are you frightened that these vehicles are going to have the decal that says, in God we trust? Is it a betrayal of their oath that to protect and serve all citizens that they say, in God we trust? Should the sheriff give in? My response is not just no, but heck no. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And for people wondering about the history of the motto "In God We Trust," um, it was adopted in 1956 by an act of Congress under President Dwight Eisenhower. The first coins with that motto were minted, though, in 1864. So it goes back a long ways. The sheriff in Brevard County is saying, yeah, we're, we're putting it on the uh, our new cars. The Freedom From Religion Foundation is unhappy. All right, 414-799-1620. Justin in Green Bay. Justin, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for um, calling. I listen to your show often. Um, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to say that, I mean, God is a broad term, you know. It's not. It's not like they're being specific here. It's like God is a very general term. So it's. I just think it's. It's a totally relevant argument. And and nor did they say that. You know, that's their mantra. It's just right. It's right. A, well, right. And no, right. They're they're not identifying a particular God. It's not saying. It's it's not. It, it's not suggesting that. But I guess this idea that people might see that motto in God we trust and then be frightened of the law enforcement officer's judgment. That's uh, to me. That's just just head scratching that anybody could make that argument. I certainly agree and. Appreciate your time. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. The other point that the sheriff makes is he says, "Look, by the way, that this isn't taxpayer money that's involved in doing this. We we have a donor. These are new cars, and you know, as they're going, as they're being outfitted with the other decals, we have a donor who's come up, and he's." He, it's a he, I think, is paying to have, you know, the American flag and the In God We Trust decals put on. So it's going to be done at the same time as these other cars are having their decals put on them. It's not going to cost the taxpayers a dime. And he says, um, actually, the sheriff, who is, um, you know, one of my new heroes out there, he says, there's a, they have a better chance of me waking up thin tomorrow than they do of me taking the motto off our cars. Jeff in Columbus. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, guy, uh, I say he should leave that baby on there. It's about time we see some of this. Hey, isn't our even our currency says in God we trust? Yep. right? it certainly does. Every that it is that is does. no no thanks. That is one that is the one thing is I was saying that if you if I don't care what type of currency you have in your pocket, if you take it out, there will be there will be differences. Different dollar denom different denominations. You know different. You know, George Washington is on the $1 bill. Abraham Lincoln is on the 5 Hamilton is on the 20 You know, you'll have different, you know, people that are pictured. But one of the common characteristics that you find on all United States currency is the phrase, in God we trust. 
And that's the position that the sheriff is taking. Now, you know, it's interesting because, believe it or not, that this issue has been litigated, and it's been litigated repeatedly. And, you know, the, the courts have been very, very clear that the national motto, in God we trust, has nothing whatsoever to do with the establishment of religion. The use is really of a patriotic and a ceremonial character, and it really, the courts say, it bears no resemblance to government sponsorship of a religious exercise. So this is one of those deals where the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which is a bully of enormous, enormous levels, you know, and, and what they typically do is they find small communities who are doing various things that they don't like, small school districts, and then they threaten them with lawsuits. And they say, unless you stop doing this, don't display that, take this down, whatever, you know, we're going to sue. And it's one of these situations, what ends up happening is that the local school district or the local community has to say, well, you know, maybe maybe we're going to win, maybe we're going to lose. But the bottom line is it's going to cost us a quarter million or a half a million or a million dollars in, in legal fees to kind of fight this. So what they give do is they give in to the tyranny of the minority. They say, okay, we're not going to fight it because, you know, we, we're here if it's a school district. We're here to educate kids. We can't justify taking a quarter million dollars of taxpayer money and, and fighting, you know, this particular issue. So they end up giving in. In this particular case, I think the sheriff has kind of drawn that red line in the sand. And, and by the way, Court cases, like I say, put them on the high road. If this was a matter that would go to litigation, there is, at least in my opinion, a very, a very strong justification for, in other words, they're going to win. They will win, I think, if if they decide to litigate it. And right now the sheriff has said, you know, pound sand. Chris in Burlington. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Chris. Oh, lost Chris. Chris was going to say that he doesn't see a need why they have to put it on the cars, which isn't really the point. It's, it's you know, you, there, you can argue why do they put, they've got an American flag decal on the cars. And you could argue, well, you know, why do they put the American flag decal on, on the cars? The question so much isn't, you know, is there a need for it? Do you have to have it? The question is, if the sheriff... And the community want to have that. Should they be allowed to have it? And to me, I, I think the answer is pretty clear. The, the answer is, you know, yes. Now, there's other things that you could put on as well. You could put on to protect and serve. You, you could do, I think you have a l- wide latitude as to what you can do. But if this particular sheriff and the people in the community want to put in God we trust, I think they have every right to do it. And you know what? If it's good enough for the $1 bill and the $5 bill and the $10 bill and the $20 bill and the $100 bill, I think it's good enough for the back of a squad car in Brevard County, Florida. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Rusty, you, you had your headphones on during your newscast. Did, did you did you hear all that screaming? Were you, were, were you able to hear that through your headphones? I had my headphones you're, off at the time, and yes. You're hearing the, this noise. Okay, now, to, to give like the word picture here, we're, we're in what is supposed to be a soundproof radio studio. Mm-hmm. And then it's separated, and there's a glass window, and there's my producer, Gru, who's there. And what was that? So I'm watching uh, hockey highlight videos. That was you? 
yeah, yeah. Scott Warren has turned me on to this. Uh, you were making that. You were making that noise. You, you had it turned up loud enough that we could hear it through the soundproof thing. Well, it might have been either me laughing uh, from this guy's calls or the highlight itself. Yeah. Okay. Well, I see. I was. I was thinking that they were having like. I mean, now. I, I, I'm just trying to hypothesize here because, I mean, I would never know what a bachelor party at a strip joint sounded like, but it sounded like a bachelor party at a strip joint, hooting and hollering and yelling. I, I thought they were having a, a party. I was going to blame, like, the ESPN folks and stuff, but it's not. It's you doing that. Yeah, hang on. What's, what's no, this no, I don't, I don't. Believe me, no. No, I, I, I don't want it. I'm just curious. It's very funny. Well, we're glad you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> so, Rusty, that tells you the producer. Well, he enjoyed. He he was amused while you were doing your newscast. Well, that's one reaction you can take. I I, I guess. I mean, when it's seeing, and I mean, I guess, huh? You you don't necessarily care that he's listening to it. I guess they just care that you got the volume. It's kind of like the movie Spinal Tap. You know, he's got it turned up to eleven. You can hear it through the soundproof type of thing. Okay, then. All right. See, I, again, I thought it was like. The ESPN guys having a party and stuff like that. It sounded like, hey, the Brewers just won the game. Yay. No, it's just my producer amusing himself by playing hockey highlights loud. <sighs> this Veterans Day, you can make a difference. Join John McCure and Stars and Stripe Honor Flight for WTMJ Cares Operation Glory to help send our brave men and women to Washington, D.C. Each year, Stars and Stripes Honor Flight sends thousands of veterans to the nation's capital, now is your chance to help get them there. WTMJ Cares Operation Glory wants to send a plane full of veterans on one of these amazing trips. To donate or learn more about our latest WTMJ Cares initiative, simply go to WTMJ.com. WTMJ Cares is powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and is brought to you by Carrick Homes. To that point, on, on Monday, I know there's going to be a special edition of Wisconsin's afternoon news, again, to, to help in this WTMJ Cares initiative to raise money for Honor Flight. So please, 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 please stay tuned. All right. Two years ago, when we were coming back from our listener trip uh, down the Danube, the flight back was from Munich to Chicago. And we were, I, I was in economy class on Lufthansa. And Lufthansa is not a bad airline, but economy class on Lufthansa, like economy class on lots of other planes, well, it's not particularly spacious. And I'm six foot one, six feet, one inch tall. At the time, I probably weighed 15 pounds more than I do now. But nevertheless, you're, you're kind of crammed in these seats. So I get to the plane. I get on the plane. I find my seat back in economy class. I sit down prepared for what is going to be like a nine-hour flight. But I know it's going to be a nine-hour flight. Guy comes in the plane afterwards. Uh, We will call him Hans. Hans is, well, he's six foot, probably three or four. So he's a couple inches taller than me, and he looks like he weighs a few more pounds more than me. So Hans is a big guy. Hans plops himself down in the seat right in front of me. And as soon as we take off and get to whatever, you know, the flight thing is, what Hans does is Hans takes his seat and boom, he goes back to the point he reclines as far as he possibly can. So Hans is now kind of like in my lap. 
essentially, because there's not a lot of room between, you know, they've shrunk the economy class. So Hans is kind of like back there reclining, oblivious to the fact that he's doing this. Now, I'm thinking a couple things. I mean, really, the only way to kind of get some more distance is for me to recline back. But there's a there's a guy behind me who's, you know, probably about my size. And I realize, well, if I recline back, I, I'm going to be in this guy's lap, and just just like if the person in the front row at the concert stands up, everybody else has to stand up. I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm incredibly uncomfortable here. Hans knows what he has done. Hans doesn't give a rat's rump that he is now doing this, and I've got really two choices. I can either do the same thing to the guy in front of me, or I can suck it up buttercup and just sit uncomfortably speaking, in the for, for nine hours. And that's kind of what I ended up doing. Every once in a while when I'd get up to walk around, I'd kind of jiggle the, the seat because I'd have to to kind of climb out because the seat is reclining. But because the seats could recline, he did. There is an interesting story in USA Today, and I want to share it with you and get your reaction. The headline says, Recline Your Airplane Seat? No. And here's why. This is the guy that writes it. Stop reclining your airplane seat. Two domestic airlines already limit your ability to lean back in economy class. And if the airplane doesn't make the decision for you, it's the polite thing to do. And most important, it's the right thing to do. Seat reclining is one of the most irritating, inconvenient, self-indulgent habits around, says so-and-so. Um, this is an ongoing debate. So this is what the piece says. As a public service, let's settle the argument now. Reclining your airline seat is unacceptable because we're officially out of space. It's rude. It's wrong. There's no space to recline. Airlines are trying to squeeze more passengers on a plane to make more money. Before airline deregulation, many economy class seats had 36 inches of pitch, a a rough measure of legroom. Today, some seats have as little as 28 inches. If you recline your airplane seat, you're probably going to end up in someone's lap. Um, literally. All right. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you have flown recently, there, there's many things, there's many things about air travel nowadays that are, are kind of annoying. You know, being, uh, having, having the, the screaming kid behind you, having the child that's kicking your seat. All those things are, are annoying. But a lot of times they might be explained by, okay, it's a sick three-year-old. What are you going to do? Reclining your seat as an adult is something that is intentional. It is a conscious decision, and I think it's rude. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should be able, that you, you should do it. Just because, well, the seats recline so I can do it. Well, there, there's all sorts of stuff, you know, like like that. I mean, you know... Should you be taking off your your shoes and picking your toes on the airplane? My argument would be no, you shouldn't do that. Could you do it? Yeah, but you shouldn't. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the airline should stop this practice, period. But even if the airlines don't stop it, I think uh, people shouldn't do it. 414-799-1620. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Scott in Bayview. Scott, you're first. 
Yeah, I think you're overreacting. It, the thing only moves back like an inch or two. And that's two inches. I fly all the time. Two inches. Yeah, it's two yeah, inches. Yeah. 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 So it doesn't bother you. How tall are you? I'm six foot. Okay, so it doesn't bother you when somebody reclines into you? No, not at all. So. Huh. All right. Thanks to call. 414. That says it's overreacting. I completely disagree. Four, I think it's rude. Um, and I think most people probably think it's rude. I think it's selfish. Um, you want to be comfortable, so you don't care if you're back disturbing somebody else. 414-799-1620. Jim in Waterford. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how's it going? Real well, uh, thank, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. And I'm pretty sure that the guy, last guy, Scott, he's got no common courtesy. Pretty rude. I wouldn't do that to somebody. If you know it's going to bother somebody, you just don't do it. That's common courtesy. You know, you got to think of other people instead of just yourself. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> yeah. He's for the call. Well, I mean, it, it is. Okay. I mean, here's the, Jeff. Um, I'm 6'4. I've never once reclined, though I really would have loved to. Um, the, the problem is that, uh, okay, the passengers behind me use the back of the seats for tables, and I'd feel embarrassed and I'd feel it would be selfish reclining. Jeff, I hate the reclining function because it's always short people that use the recliner seats. Um, I'm six foot eight. When somebody backs their seat up, it touches my knees. I end up having to push them forward. Jeff, I 100% agree with you. Many things, uh, like many things, air travel is not as enjoyable as it once was in the past. Um, yeah, 414. I mean, I guess my response would be that if you, if you really need to recline, okay, I mean, two words, business class, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's talk to, um, John and Racine. John, you're on WTMJ. Ah, good afternoon. Hi, John. This is one of my favorite subjects because it's really a pet peeve. I'm only 5'10", but... As soon as I get on an airplane, if that seat goes down, it's like, oh, it's going to be an ugly flight. <laughs> it's going to be a long but flight. I found that, you know, um, and I'm a very courteous person. I, I cannot tolerate rude people. And to me, that's very rude. But I find if you, you know, tap against their, you know, in a God of Vita, play in a God of Vita in your mind and use their <laughs> thing as a drum thing. Or put <laughs> or, your knees up against it and just constantly have to adjust. Right, or start you know, coughing. They, after you a know. while, you know, they turn around, they give you a couple dirty looks, and you shrug your shoulder and say, well, you know, I'm sorry, you know, i got no place to go, you know. If you didn't have your seat down, we'd both be happy. Well, yeah. Or if you ever have, if you have to get up to go to the bathroom or something, there's nothing you can do because if, if just even my size, I've got a, I mean, I've got to grab that back of the seat to kind of climb over because I, I don't have any sort of leg room at all. Now, thanks to call the USA Today piece. Um, airline. This is what the guys arguing. Airlines should lock their economy seats from reclining permanently. If there's no room to recline your airline seat and it's wrong, why do somebody, so many airlines still allow it? Because if they didn't, it would be an admission that they no longer care about your comfort. Airlines are stacking you into a plane like cargo. No two ways around it. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Austin in Waukesha. Hi, Austin. Hey, how you doing? I just wanted to touch base uh, and kind of mention that you hadn't really brought up the tray tables. And when you're using the tray tables, yeah. and then they lean back the seat two inches is actually a lot more when it's buttoned up into you, and it's restricting your space even more so than before. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, right. And I guess, I mean, you can put up with anything for a little bit of time, but especially if you're on, you know, a, a flight that's going to be a couple hours or whatever, it's like, oh, for the love of God, really? You know, I'm, I'm expected to have this tray table in, in my lap and be all crunched in simply because the person in front of me decides that they want a little bit more room. Exactly. It just seems a little selfish and, uh, kind of, yeah. ridiculous that they even let you do it well, with the restriction on space. Well, right. Thanks to call. Right. Now, th- this is, you know, in back in the day, you know, back in the day, there, there used to be a lot more leg room. So there was a little bit more latitude. But now the way these planes are configured nowadays, like I say, they, they've gone in some and it varies from airline to airline and it varies from airplane to airplane. But it's gone from like 36 inches of what what they call what's like the, the like the leg room and all it's gone from that that 36 inches down to like like 28 inches and that's that's a big deal especially when you allow that this reclining i would be i mean i'm just saying i it wouldn't occur to me to recline into into somebody I, it just wouldn't because i don't want to disturb their space so uh, maybe maybe it's just on me Maybe it's like, okay, well, the guy in front of me is reclining because he thinks he can. Maybe we should all do that. I just don't feel right doing it. 414-799-1620. Scott in Elm Grove. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. This is kind of a hot button for me, although I'm not as tall as the texter. I am 6'7", and every time I fly, someone tells me how bad they feel for me. Um, and I, you know, my height and weight is proportionate. Yeah. Um, and when I sit behind somebody, they literally cannot reclined um, <laughs> right because your knees are right your knees yeah, are crammed up against yeah, the back of that seat sure nothing i can do about it right and and so i have uh i've flown a lot for business i tend to prefer southwest southwest doesn't give you the ability to pick um economy class right. or versus you know business class but i have to tell you i have flown in europe and i'll never forget the time i was flying from from Madrid to uh, Rome, Italy, and there was a guy that was so upset at me because he couldn't recline his chair that he 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 literally pushed the service button. And, and, and I, you know, not speaking the language that they were speaking, I didn't know how to explain myself. I, I there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, right. But you're, right, you're not reclining. You're just saying, "Hey, I'm sitting here. This is yeah. I, I bought my ticket. I yeah. see." And I mean, and I I, I sympathize. So you, even at your size, you are not a recliner. No, I, 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 much like your other caller, I am courteous of other people, and I also know how difficult it is, and, you know, it's just not, and, and now take that height and try to go into the bathroom in the, in the uh, <laughs> yeah. airplane, and I think it's like people are just watching you to see, well, how's he going to fit in there, but it just adds to all this, you know, them keep reducing the size of everything, oh, yeah. it's getting harder and harder. Oh, no, I, I, I absolutely, see, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, this is this is not a oh gee we let's love the airlines because they're cramming more and more of us in that that's not it at all but it's just kind of like if they're going to cram more and more of us in into the economy thing I I would support I would applaud the airlines just taking the seats and saying they're not going to be able to recline because that that ends up dealing with this particular issue and, and yes I understand that that means that somebody who's tall. 
might be uncomfortable during the flight. But the question is, are, okay, does that give you a right to make somebody else uncomfortable as well? I, I continue to think it's just rude. I'm going to tweet out, I'm going to send out, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I'm going to send out a link to this story because this is a very, very hot debate. I would say that about 80% of people agree with me that it's rude and just because you should do it, you can do it, doesn't mean you should. Um, and then the other 20% feel very strongly. Hey, they let the seats recline, so I, I'm going to recline. All right, let your conscience be your guide. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. One of the big stories this week involved this new movie that, that they're filming right now, and they were trying to cast the part. The movie is called Finding Jack, and it's a movie, uh, there's a novel about thousands of military dogs that were abandoned at the end of the Vietnam War. And it, there's this supporting role that they're trying to cast, and they said, we looked at all these people, and, and we couldn't find, you know, who we thought was right to play the character. So, you know, what they said is, you know, I mean, we, we think we have an image of who's right to play the character, and it would be the actor James Dean. Okay, well, well, that's fine, except, you know, James Dean passed away in the late 1950s. You know, J- James Dean starred in Rebel Without a Cause and East of, of Eden, and he got an Oscar nomination for Giant in 1957, but he died, he, he died in a car crash, you know, in, in the late 1950s. So James Dean isn't around to, to play this role, or is he? So what this what they have decided to do is they said okay well well we went to you know the the family that, that owns the rights to James Dean's likeness and we cut a deal with them and so what we are going to do is essentially we're going to use visual effects and and we're going to use this digital technology and we're going to have the image of James Dean play this this part now, James Dean, like I said, has been dead since 1955. But what they're going to do is they're going to take, again, the, the computer stuff. They're going to use this CGI, and they're going to put the image of James Dean there. Now, apparently, the way I understand it, they're going to have some actor that's actually going to like kind of go through the motions, but then they're going to make that actor look like James Dean. So this is um, creating all sorts of controversy, of course, for a whole number of, of levels. But the reason they are doing it is because, well, at least they say, they think that the person, the character, it, it's James Dean. You know, that that's who should be playing this role. And we don't care that he, he died 60-plus you know years ago. We think this is important, and we think people are going to you know want to see the James Dean type of character. Now, I happen to think that this is really sort of, sort of weird um it's it, but it's it's where we're going with technology but that's not what i want to discuss on pop culture corner the reason one of the reasons they're doing this besides just the publicity is they think people are going to want to see james dean and james dean is an actor only three movies before his untimely death james dean is an actor was one of these character charismatic type of performers and if you look at the three movies that that you know he did i mean east of eden and rebel without a cause and giant 
you you can't when he's on the screen you can't take your eyes off him i mean it's just it, it's an incredibly powerful performance you now you don't know what would have happened as he aged you know would would he have made great choices it's i guess one of the weird sort of you know advantages and i put that in quotation marks of, of dying young is that you're you know you don't have to watch him you don't have to watch them as they get older. You don't have to see them age. You have you're captured forever as this incredibly powerful like young man. I thought, given what's going on here for Pop Culture Corner today, I, I, I want to talk about your favorite actors and actresses, but but from a kind of different perspective. Here here's the ca- here's the question, and the topic is, I would watch them in anything. Now, for a lot of people, if you're going to decide to watch a TV show, and this could be TV, or to watch a movie, it, it's going to depend on what's it about. You know, what, what's the plot line here? You know, is this something I'm going to enjoy? Does it interest me, etc. Every once in a while, though, we all have these favorite performers, actors, actresses, whatever, where you would say, you know, I would watch them in anything. And that's Pop Culture Corner today, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. The actor or actress that you can't get enough of, that, that you would watch in anything, the fact that, you know, they're going to be the star or they're going to be appearing in the movie, that, that, would, that would cause you to want to watch it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I always advise people during these segments, call in quick because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as we possibly can. I've been thinking a lot about this in advance of the topic. You know, if you would have asked me maybe 20, 25 years ago, you know, an actor you would watch in anything, I, I, I might have said Robert De Niro because, I mean, you look at this, a lot of the guy's early work, just in just in incredible stuff like Mean Streets and Godfather 2 and and all the the different things that he did now over the years i don't think um uh, raging bull i i don't think de niro has aged particularly well and i don't think his choices have been particularly good uh clint eastwood is somebody else that even maybe to today i i might say i'd watch him in anything uh, you know because he's he's gone from like kind of that action hero to making all sorts of interesting movies but I would watch them in anything. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Uh, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. He, he's another one I might lump into that category. Okay, let me take a quick break. Let Gru line up the calls, then we will be back. I would watch them in anything. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. What a bunch of great selections. Like, I would watch them in anything. Ryan Reynolds. All right. He's in Deadpool. If, if, if The real test is, could you watch Green Lantern? If you could watch Green Lantern, you could, in fact, watch him in anything. Uh, George C. Scott. That's probably true. Sarah uh, says uh, Sean Connery. Uh, another interesting thing, right? You go the young Sean Connery uh, to the older Sean Connery. He's good in pretty much everything. The late John Candy, that's up there as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Jameson and Teresa. Jameson, good afternoon. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. You'd watch him in anything. Um, he's actually more of a TV actor, but uh, he's had a couple movie appearances. But uh, the actor uh, Walton Goggins. Yeah. 
Um, I, I, I first I first saw him um, in the the TV show The Shield, you know, that ran for years, and then he, he was, was in Justified. <laughs> right, and then he was in Justified, and you know he, he's done a number of movies as well. No, I he's one of these guys that you, I agree you can't take your eyes off the screen. He's not a t- typical leading man or anything, but he's a great character right. actor. No, yep. you watch show the he's on the Unicorn now. It's a comedy on uh, CBS. It's, it's really funny. This- Got it. Okay, thanks for calling. No, Walter Goggins, yeah, I, and I first saw him on, on The Shield. Donna in Menominee Falls. Donna, you're on WTMJ. You'd watch him or her in anything. Oh, Meryl Streep, hands down. Yeah. Um, She's so good. I just recently, in fact, saw the Julia Childs movie, Julie, Julia, or something like that. Right. The movie wasn't that great, but she did such an awesome job playing Julia Childs. I, I, you know, I remember, yeah, gosh, I, the first movie I think I ever really focused on uh, her in was uh, Sophie's Choice. And she oh. was just so amazing in that. Yeah. And but you know, you're right. She's another one. It doesn't matter whether she's playing Margaret Thatcher or Julia Child oh, that or Margaret Thatcher movie. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. No, Meryl Streep just just she gets nominated for Oscars all the time. But you know what? She deserves it. She deserves <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Now, exactly. No, thanks. For, it's, it's interesting because you know, her big breakthrough movie was Kramer versus Kramer with Dustin Hoffman, and I I that that won all these awards. I always thought it was kind of sort of an ordinary movie, but she certainly made a huge career of it. Uh, let's talk to Lori in Fond du Lac. Hi, Lori. You're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. You would watch him or her in anything? Hugh Grant. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> now, t- tell me why. Because is it eye candy, or because you just think he's a great actor, or is it both? Um, well, I, I think it's both, and okay. I—I I mean, I don't think he's overly handsome. There's just something kind of cute about him. Okay. And he—he's—I uh, don't know—he just brings a smile to my face when he's talking. He's kind of got that. Mm-hmm. He's kind of that sort of boyish kinda, charm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what, then the voice—I kind of like listening to the British right. accent. What's your uh, What's your favorite Hugh Grant movie? Um, I liked him in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Okay, one, an older one, sure. Sure. Yeah, and also, he was pretty good in the Bridget Jones Diary. Right, right. The uh, Yeah, th- thanks for your call. Right, the, the, that whole series as well. Um, I like Four Weddings and a Funeral. Let's talk to Gary in Milwaukee. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hello there. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I would watch Tom Hanks in every, anything. He is the most phenomenal actor of our yeah. time, in my opinion. I, you know, I... I agree with you. When I was thinking of this topic, and there's lots of actors or actresses that I could come up with, but but Tom Hanks was at the top. And it's, you know, for Tom Hanks, you you think he's got the new Mr. Rogers movie that's coming out. But when you think of all the different, the diverse role, here's a guy who started out, you know, in drag on on Bosom Buddies, the TV (laughs) show. And you think about the movies, the the. Uh, you've you've got Castaway that I thought was just so incredible, and then he played Ben Bradley in The Post, and all of these different movies that the guy's done. He, he uh, Forrest Gump, he's an amazing performer. He's amazing, and I have such a respect for his career. When he chooses a movie, you know it's going to be good because he can do anything that he wants. He's at that point in his career. Yes. Yes. Like this, this Mr. Rogers movie that's coming out. I mean, I'm sure I would have seen it. I love Mr. Rogers, but knowing that Tom Hanks chose to do that. You know it's going to be phenomenal. You know yeah. it's going to be a great movie. Yeah, no, thank, I, I, I agree. If I had to come up with with one actor, it, it would be Tom Hanks because he just and it, it, what's, what's so good is a lot of times you forget that it's Tom Hanks. See that that's kind of the key. A lot of times you look at the, these performers and you say, okay, that's fill in the blank. That's that. I know it's Al Pacino playing a role, but but I see Al Pacino there. 
Tom Hanks kind of in, inhabits the roles. Let's talk to Tim in West Allis. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks I, for taking my call. Sure. I would watch Madeline Kahn in anything. The late Madeline Kahn, yeah. I mean, she Blazing Saddles and, and uh, Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks movies, for sure, Those and, and all sorts of other stuff as well. Probably the finest comedic actress that ever lived. Yeah, she was just, I mean, thanks God, just absolutely outstanding. Uh, let's keep that theme going. Mike in Menominee Falls. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jeff, yes, to keep that theme going, I would say not your typical leading actor, but Gene Wilder, uh, all the movies that he was in from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory right. to uh, Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles, he was an amazing actor, and whenever he was on the screen, you could not take your eyes off of him. Yeah, and you know, he actually elevated the material, because he, he did a couple movies, like he did a couple with Richard Pryor, whose names, the titles are escaping me, that I always thought were kind of so-so. But you're right, he he elevated stuff. No, thanks for the call. Uh, here's a texter says, Paul Newman. You know, I, I, I think that that's Paul Newman... Um, you got the young Paul Newman, and then you've got like the older Paul Newman. I mean, movies like The Verdict and things like that. It's just, yeah, Paul Newman was another guy that just, I, I think you, you'd watch it sometimes and you'd forget that that's Paul Newman on the screen. And I think that was just outstanding. Patrick and Sean O. Patrick, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? Hi, Patrick. What do you think? Jerry Oldman. Okay. He plays a he plays a lot of neurotic parts, which fascinates me. But he can play anything, and he did a fantastic job playing Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. He did uh, un, unrecognizable. I mean, I just I, I when I saw that movie, I knew it was Gary Oldham, but I I just I didn't see Gary Oldham. I mean, he just he, I saw Winston Churchill. Yeah, but he plays the, the, some of the parts he plays are really off the wall, you know, neurotic kind of crazy individuals, but he does a fantastic job at everything he plays. Uh, I, I can't, couldn't disagree with that either. Thanks for the call. Let's see. Uh, Tim, Here's one. Timothy Oliphant, Deadwood, Justified, um, etc. Yeah, that's... Um I, I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of his as well, Jeff. I would say Clint Eastwood. Uh, yeah, I Clint Eastwood. I, I was thinking of that as well. And again, another actor who's made just kind of you know great choices. He's gone from you know that the 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 spaghetti westerns to the Dirty Harry type of movies to making I think really interesting movies into his 80s and and 90s. And I I give him credit for that. Somebody else says Jack Nicholson. Uh, a little Jack Nicholson goes a long way with me, but you know everybody has different feelings on this. Let's talk to um, Bob in Dundee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I think Al Pacino. Okay. Like, he's rough and tough, and he can be meek and mild. He just seems to fit every role. What's your favorite Pacino movie? Godfather, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, and that- then I. I can't think of the name of the movie off the top of my head, but when he was playing the blind man. Oh, um, oh, not as good as it gets. The uh, yeah, I right. Thank, thanks. Somebody's gonna not as good as it gets. That's not the movie, but um, okay. Somebody's gonna send me a text and remind me of of that one. Yeah, I, I, you know, I like Al Pacino. I think he's incredibly talented. I, th- I thought, you know, his beginning career, Serpico, you know, Panic in Needle Park. I thought he was just great. He's another one. Kind of like De Niro is that I, I think he's made some bad choices of stuff over the years, but I am curious to see him and Joe Pesci 
Um, Joe Pesci, you know, by the way, is another one of those actors that I would lump into that category. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman as well. Uh, it's just it's just kind of fun to do that. So, I mean, in some respects, I understand tying back into where we started, where, you know, why these producers, hey, we want to digitally recreate James Dean because, you know, people want to see James Dean. I guess my point would be there's a lot of actors and actresses out there that are special enough. You know, get get the real ones. You know, don't, don't use the CGI to do it. All right. John McCure is on the road. He's at Lakefront Brewery. We're going to find out what he has on his mind in just a moment.